The industry churns them out and parents gobble them up to the tune of some 300 billion a year. But what if this year's big item happens to have a mind of its own? Please join me in welcoming KJ to the program. First time caller, you can just call me KJ. I'm calling in with a, a weird one, uh, basically about a an old an old childhood toy that had turned on. Probably about ten years ago, had to have been one of my first years in college, as I was still renting a bedroom in a house. At the time, one of my parents was getting ready to move out of state, so moving out of a childhood home, 
out of the state, so I needed to get anything I wanted to keep out and transfer it over to my other parents' home that was staying locally. So one day I had spent a good chunk of it moving everything over to the house that I was renting a room in, and then the next day I was going to take everything over to the new house. Of course, one of the things in the box that I had, or actually it was a bag, I just thrown it in a backpack, uh, was a Furby. Now, I'm sure most of you know what a Furby is. They were really popular late 90s, early 2000s. But for those of you that don't know, think of like Gizmo's head from the Gremlins. Big old ears. Has like a little round beak for a mouth, a bunny tail, and little footies on front. So kind of an interesting looking thing. They were really popular. Of course, as a kid, I thought it was adorable. Uh, One of my favorite things ever. And he was all white with black polka dots. Always called himself Domo, so that's what I called him. So... Uh, when I found him at the old house, of course, I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to, you know, hang on to this and put it in storage. So he made it into the bag and was sitting in my room. When I'd gone to bed that night, you know, everything was normal. But I woke up and I hear talking. Now, the Furbies, whenever you wake them up, um, you have to like hold them upside down for a second. It kind of triggers their sensor to wake them up and they'll start talking. So I hear this voice, and, and it sounds like Domo, and I'm like, what the what the heck? And I could hear, now again, this is like late 90s, early 2000s technology, and I could hear his ears moving, and it's like a very mechanical sound. Uh, it's like, when they're moving them. And I could hear it, and I could hear it against the bag, and I'm like... I don't even think this dude has working batteries if he has batteries in them at all, and so... Of course, I get up, and I'm like, this is this is amazing. Like, how does this thing even still have batteries? And I open the bag, and his eyes are closed, and he's not moving, not talking. So I pick him up, and I, you know, I hold him upside down, see if he wakes up, doesn't wake up. Kind of wave my hand in front of his, there's like a little gem or little paw mark on their forehead or something. It's essentially a little infrared trigger, a little sensor to be able to tell when something's in front of it, and that'll trigger it to turn on. Nothing. Wouldn't talk nothing. Needless to say, I was a little weirded out. Just chalked it up to me coming out of a a sleep and hearing something. Never happened again. Then again, I never gave it a chance to because you bet that I took it. When I took it to the new house, I made sure there was no batteries in it. And I put it in basement storage where it might be there today. I'm sure it is somewhere. Um, But I have not uh, found out since. Uh... Don't know what it could have been. I mean, it could have been Domo talking or who knows. Uh, I know sometimes with old toys, you know, batteries can malfunction. You know, I listened to that story about the gentleman who I believe it was him or his father that worked with, like, toys. And they compared it to a battery's end of lifetime to a person's end of lifetime where sometimes it'll give one last, like, oomph and have, you know, some kind of noise play. But it was weird. Uh, Could it be a haunted Furby? Who knows? Some folks might say that all Furbies are haunted or possessed. Uh, They're not particularly big fans of them. Who knows? Anyway, uh, working my way through the podcast. I'm on the end of season six. You guys are awesome. I got a friend hooked on the show, too, now. Keep up the awesome work, and I look forward to hearing more stories. Thanks. Thank you, KJ. Okay, so you guys remember these Furbies, right? If you're too young or too old, 
Here's the television commercial that ran all the way back in 1998. Terrifying. Well, thank the old gods that I was too old for this fad. Not only because they're creepy AF, but according to some, these things couldn't even be trusted. Hey guys, Retro Coyote here. And did you know that back in 1999, Furbies were banned from all government buildings by the NSA? That's right. As odd as it may sound, its advanced technology was not well understood by most people and was often mistaken for being artificially intelligent. And so, for fear that it might learn government secrets, the National Security Agency of the United States banned all Furbies from any public buildings. Now that little tidbit of information courtesy of Retro Coyote over on YouTube. And that's one of those strange facts that I love to drop on people. It's almost impossible to believe that it's true. But it is. And it's yet another reason to keep those little monsters out of your house. Thank you again, KJ, for taking the time to kick us off. Now, folks, if you have a story you think is perfect for this program, give the hotline a call at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-NIGHT. Now, you know it's one thing when electronic toys seemingly move on their own. They have batteries and motors and whatnot. But it's a whole other deal. When it happens to a piece of solid Christmas decor. For this next one, please join me in welcoming Dee, all the way from Canada. Hi, my name is Dee, and I'm from Flin Flon, Manitoba. Okay, so I want to tell you about some weird events that took place in my house about three years ago. It all started after I had decorated my house for Christmas. I found this cute little golden reindeer with jingle bells at a thrift store and I placed this on my wall unit at about a 45 degree angle facing forwards. So my partner and I had just worked a day shift one day and we were both home after work when I looked over at the wall unit and I noticed that the reindeer decoration had been completely turned around. The butt end was facing inwards towards the front and the head was towards the wall. So I thought, what the hell? I stood and looked in shock, just trying to justify it. Maybe my big Malamute turned it around while sniffing and, uh, you know, checking it out out of curiosity as she investigates all new items that we bring into the house. But then I thought this 85-pound dog would have definitely knocked it over and wouldn't have just carefully picked it up and placed it facing the other way. She would have knocked it over. So I asked my boyfriend if it was him, and he said no. He said, how could I do that when I was at work? So I asked him again just to make sure. 
So this happened about four more times in a two-week span. Each time, I was just more and more puzzled. Each time, I would come home after work and the reindeer decoration would be turned completely around on my wall unit. So this freaked me out more and more. Who or what was touching my stuff? Very creepy. My coworkers suggested I record it, but I didn't really want to see what was doing this. So I started to feel a little watched, maybe a little violated, you know. I didn't like being in my house alone too much. So I decided to call a local elder and come and do a cleansing ceremony on our house. So she cleansed me as well. She said the spirit was a harmless female spirit that apparently enjoys the energy of our house. So I did feel better after that. I mean, at least the spirit was kind. And I felt flattered that it liked their home. I felt more peaceful being alone in the house after this. The elder recommended I move the reindeer to a different location. Maybe she just didn't like that spot. So ever since, nothing strange has happened. Whenever I decorate for Christmas and bring out that reindeer, I do get an eerie feeling. I speculate that I may have accidentally brought a spirit or energy home in the reindeer decoration. Who knows? Anyway, I have more stories to share in the future. I'll call back soon. I love the podcast and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, Dee. Now, I'll tell you what, I wish you would have followed your friend's advice and filmed the action. That said, I also completely understand why you wouldn't want to see what was responsible for moving the object. But I do want to know. I do want to see. I would love to watch that video. And not to scare you or anything here, D, but I don't know that I would just take any psychic's word for it. The story that was delivered to D about the little protective little girl. Well, that's all fine and dandy. If it's true. But who knows what D is actually sharing that space with. All I'm saying here, D, is don't let your guard down. But don't let me scare you, either. And in the spirit of this holiday, and in line with both KJ and D's entries, here's a pair of other moving toy stories that'll have you checking under the tree for more than one reason. Now, these stories were submitted by Stephen in New Jersey, and James in South Carolina, respectfully. Hey, Derek, this is Stephen calling from Jersey again. I just had a weird experience. Nothing too alarming for me. It's actually, like, kind of funny in a sense. Well, my family, we're really big into paranormal. You know, I let even my oldest son, who's going to be seven, watch uh, Paranormal Court on camera, so he knows about all this stuff. So my story is, this happened on Sunday and putting the kids down. So, you know, they're in the bed, whatever. I let my son watch TV for a little bit before, you know, he drifts off and goes to sleep. And then I turn the TV off for him. Long story short, he was trying to watch paranormal caught on camera on his own in the room. And that's the family thing. We watch it in the living room. I'm like, no, you're not watching that right before you actually go to sleep. I'm not having that. No. So I end up changing the channel, but he turned the TV down. 
So I, I, I didn't really hear the TV. I had turned it down myself, but he turned it down even more so no one could really hear. So I'm in the living room, sitting with my fiance. Now my, my kid's toy box is in the hallway. No one's around in the hallway. Both my sons are in their room laying down in the bed. Toy box is in the hallway, like I just said. All of a sudden, my youngest son's toy, which is a play remote control, goes off. And that's at the bottom of the toy chest. And it goes, different settings, it goes, change the channel. Uh, and then it sings, oh, come gather around, watch, but whatever, whatever. But the first thing that it said was, please change the channel. And then it did it again. And I'm like, why the hell is the toy going off? So I happened to go walk towards the toy chest, not scared or anything, walk towards the toy chest. But I took it as a sign, like, let me go in my son's room and see what's going on. So I went to my son's room. As I'm passing the toy chest, I look down to see if any toys are on it. I keep going as it's going off. I go in my son's room, and my son has a documentary of the serial killer on there. Now, we can't hear what's going on because the TV's real low, but it's also in Spanish. But I know how documentaries are, and the, the, the image of the guy that they were talking about, he just had that creepy serial killer look in his eye as a, as a mugshot. So I changed the channel immediately and I just started looking back at the toy like, is this a sign that, you know, it was just informing me to tell me to change the channel of what my son was watching. Maybe it was a guardian angel or whatever the case may be. I don't know. Um, pardon me. I'm sorry. I'm driving. I know you say you don't want callers calling while we're driving, but I pulled over to the side and had to think about this and it just, it was just really ironic. And then also uh, before that, on Friday, my fiance came home and she said the door was wide open. And she said she locked the door and she closed it. And she said she knows she closed it. But I chalked that up as, you know, a mistake because our door, the hinge is real weird. Like if you close it all the way, you think you might have locked it. But if you don't pull it all the way, the door is not completely closed. And I've seen that and I witnessed that myself. So I just chalked that up as a, a little mistake. So I'm not, I'm not playing too much into that, but it was just weird. It was just very weird. So maybe it was just a coincidence or maybe it was just someone looking out to actually tell me to, you know, change the channel. So my son's not watching no weird stuff, even though we watch paranormal court on camera, which is funny, but you know, watching actual murders and everything is different. So yeah, that's my story. I want to keep rambling on. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate the podcast. I'm, I'm a huge fan now. I'm already a fan of Paranormal Call on Camera, and I'm a bigger fan of your podcast. So I appreciate you. Keep up the good work, and thank you. Stay blessed. Hi, Derek. This is James from Myrtle Beach. I just want to, first of all, start off by thanking you for all your hard work and bringing all these stories together for us. It gives us an outlet to uh, really, really vent about these things. Well, better start off. Um, I was listening to well, the season 10, episode 4, and Dave's story really resonated with me because I also grew up with Joe's Witness, and my mom, when back in the day before I was born, she told me the story about when she was first getting into the religion. And she was experimenting with a bunch of different religions. You know, she was uh, Catholicism. And, you know, she was just starting to study with the Jehovah's Witnesses. And she was at a yard sale. And this uh, lady had this really old book that my mom was interested in. And also she had this clock. Now, this is back in the, 
I want to say early 80s, late 70s, because my older brothers, they're all in their late 40s, early 50s now, but they were in their teens. And my brother Rob, he was the one that got this clock. Now, this clock looked like a a rocking horse with a, you know, clock in the middle of it. And I was told that, you know, he got this clock and she got a book that just is a Latin book with a bunch of weird writing, but she said it looked really interesting. So she, you know, picked it up. So when they brought these things in the house, they said a bunch of weird stuff kept kept happening. You know, they, they'd hear weird voices and, and uh, things would move by themselves in the house. And she got the idea that it was the book initially, but she wasn't sure. So, you know, she thought she'd keep it around. But what I guess made things, you know, boil over was my brother. He was doing his homework one night and he said he happened to look up at this, this horse clock, you know, this rocking horse that had the clock in the middle. And he just happened to glance up at it. And he said that the horse itself his eyes were glowing red, and this is an inanimate object. It was a wooden horse. Uh, he said this, the eyes were glowing red, and the horse was looking at him. It, the, the, it, this horse had ankled its head to the side and was looking at him. And he said he blinked, and he blinked and looked at it again. And when he did, it was a regular horse. But, he, you know, he forgot about it. But then this happened again later on, not that the horse had looked at him, but he looked up and the horse was moving by itself. But my mom figured this was some kind of demonic happenings going on here. So she, you know, she burned the book and the horse. And I later on moved to the room where this all happened and I could still see the scorch marks in the tub. So I can, t- and she's not, you know, she's still a witness. So she's not really much of a, a tall tale type person, but I have a bunch of different stories. Maybe when I can put my words together a little bit better, I will call in with some of my other experiences because there's been quite a few things that have happened to me over the years but um, I just wanted to start with that and I appreciate everything you do alright bye thanks gentlemen and come on dad you can't blame the young one for trying to sneak a little extra paranormal content you know I did stuff exactly like that growing up and look how I turned out And James, I suppose that's the risk you take when you go to a yard sale. You never know what you're going to go home with. But I'll tell you what I wouldn't do for a little tchotchke like that. It's certainly a shame that those items were destroyed. Now you know I'm not a big coffee drinker, so I've been in search of something I could sip on in the mornings to help me get going. You know, something to create a morning routine. Now I love starting every day with Magic Mind. It helps me avoid procrastinating and keeps my energy steady throughout the day. Tonight's sponsor, Magic Mind, is a shot-sized drink that helps you focus and be more productive without feeling jittery, and there's no energy crash. Now it does have some caffeine, but it comes from matcha tea. Now after a few days of use, I really started to notice that it was helping me feel more dialed in. Anyone who does any kind of creative work knows it's not something you can snap a finger and turn on. But Magic Mind has helped me battle writer's block and brain fog many a time. Now I'm not completely sure how it all works, but it has 12 functional ingredients, including matcha, as I mentioned before. But it also has nootropics, which help with focus, 
and adaptogens, which help with stress. So if you'd like to give Magic Mind a try, head on over to magicmind.co forward slash MAU. And you can use my coupon code MAU for 40% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. My 40% code only lasts 10 days, so don't delay. And the best part is, Magic Mind is a money-back guarantee, so you really have nothing to lose. Again, that's magicmind.co forward slash MAU for 40% off your first subscription or 20% off your first one-time purchase. And of course, there's a link in tonight's show notes. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the things that go bump in the night. Now this next one explores what can happen when the celebrations cease. And you allow the darkness to seep in. Jeanette from Arizona. Welcome to the show. Hi Derek, my name's Jeanette and I'm calling from Arizona. I'm calling in regards to a few occasions where I have come across a shadow man, a very dark entity. I'm going to go back to the 1990s when my parents bought a cabin, that we call it, up in Pine, Arizona, up by the rim. This was always a very happy place. We spent the holidays, Christmas, the whole family, friends, always gathered there, enjoyed all of our time together, very happy place together. In 2016, my dad passed away unexpectedly, and it was difficult for anyone to go back to the cabin. My mom refused to go. We decided not to spend the holidays there anymore. My brother and his family, my sister and her family, were probably the only ones that would continue to go up there and and utilize the place. After a couple years of my dad passing away, my husband and I and some friends decided we were going to go up there for a weekend. We got up there and there were no lights on. My key wouldn't open the front door. So I said, let me try the side door, which went into the laundry room. So I went ahead and got the door open. And as soon as I opened the door, it was this feeling of something's wrong in here. It was heavy, dark. I didn't even want to walk in there, but I didn't want to say anything to anybody. They had small children with them. I didn't want anyone getting freaked out. Of course, everyone just thought I was crazy. So I carefully walked into the laundry room, looking straight ahead, holding my breath, because now I had to get across the laundry room to the light switch in the dark. It was one of those feelings where you think someone's gonna jump out at you. So I got to the light switch, turned the light on. Then I had to look down the hallway to where is the next light switch, which is at the end of the hallway by the kitchen. Managed to get that light on, looked around quickly, ran to the front door, opened it up, turned all the lights on, got everybody in there. And our weekend went on. I felt uncomfortable. I felt as if something happened in there and there was a negative dark energy left behind. My parents' room, the master bedroom, was the most uncomfortable for me, but my husband and I always stay back there when we go. The closet, my dad's stuff was still in there, so it gave me an uneasy feeling. 
I wouldn't go to bed until my husband was in bed first. I spent most of my time outside on the deck. The weather's beautiful up there, so we'd just sit on the deck, and I just stayed outside as much as I could. Got through the weekend. I was glad to get out of there. I didn't go back for a couple years, and I thought over the over this couple years, my sister and brother were frequently going up there and kind of cleaning things out, starting to do some remodeling. So I thought I'm going to give it another shot. So I invited a, a friend of mine to just go up for a girls' weekend. Still felt very uncomfortable in there, like I'm looking around every corner, just uneasy. Like again, something happened, and there was just this dark energy left behind. Still hadn't said anything to anybody about it. Spent most of the time outside. I was inside and standing in the kitchen, daylight during the day. Now when you're in the kitchen, you look out, there's the dining room in front of you, there's the big living room, and it's all windows so you can look out amongst the forest and the rim. And we have furniture out there on the deck where, like I say, I spent most of my time. I'm in the kitchen and I turn and then down the hallway, there's a long hallway at the end of it was what was my parents' bedroom. There's also another bedroom in the hall and a bathroom, the laundry room. I'm looking down that hallway and one, two, there he is. Tall, dark energy finally showed himself to me. At this point, it's not out of my peripheral view. It's straight ahead, right in front of me. Two steps, and he disappeared right across the hallway. Again, I'm not saying anything to anybody. Get through the weekend. Can't wait to get out of there. I don't say anything, but my other sister who lived out of the country had come back for a visit. Her and a friend were up there for a weekend and when she came back she called me and said what the hell's going on at the cabin and I said why what did you see what did you feel why are you asking me this and she said there's something there's an energy in there that is making me so uncomfortable she said and I can't stand being back in mom and dad's bedroom she said and the closet's freaking me out her friend woke up screaming in the middle of the night yelling, what do you want? She woke up, opened her eyes, and there was something floating above her, and she just yelled and screamed, what do you want? At that point, I knew it wasn't just me. Now my sister and her friend had experienced something in there as well. So I asked my brother and my other sister who go up there all the time, what's going on at the cabin? My brother said he just felt like the cabin had been compromised, like somebody was getting in there that shouldn't have been. My sister said the same thing. Now, she kept insisting it was my dad that I was seeing. She said she would see my dad's spirit all the time. I said, this is not dad. This is a dark entity. It's a shadow man. Tall, black, skinny man. So a couple years go by. We made some changes up there, changed locks, cleaned out some more. I go up there again, another girl's weekend, same friend. And her sister-in-law comes with, I'm still feeling uneasy. And we are sitting out on the patio. This time it's nighttime, it's dark. But as I'm sitting, I'm at the table facing the cabin. 
I can see the through the glass door that is to the hall bedroom, which you can see into the hallway, the long hallway, the lights on in the hallway. The two of them are sitting opposite of me from the table. I'm looking through the glass door into the hallway and I see the shadow man walk down the hallway towards that master bedroom. The look on my face, I don't even know, but the two of them turned around as fast as possible and then turned back around to look at me and said, what, what did you see? And I said, did you see that? And they said, no, what? I said, I didn't want to freak them out. So I just said, there was this big bat that just flew by. They're like, oh my gosh, maybe we should go inside. So we went to bed. Again, time goes on. I don't go up there. A couple years pass. Go up there again with my with same friend. And I don't think she has anything to do with this energy. I think it's just that when other people are up there, there's just a lot of people. So there's a lot of activity going on. But when I would go up there, I would just keep it a simple girls weekend with one or two other people where we can just relax, get away from things. And there's just not a, a lot of energy in the cabin happening because we're spending it outside on the patio. So this is when this shadow man is presenting himself to me. Went up again with her and her son had gone. And this time I said, I'm bringing the dog because the dog can sense things. So her and I went up, we each brought our dogs. We walked in, I'm standing in the kitchen. I looked down the hall and my dog is standing there on point, staring at that back bedroom. Wouldn't move. She is afraid to even go in there. I decided, you know, at this point, I'm not sleeping back there anymore. I'm just going to sleep on the couch. And the other weird thing was when we got there, the place reeked of urine. Now, my sister and family had been up there the weekend before, and they said there was an issue with the toilet in the hall bathroom, but they had shut the toilet off. But it reeked of urine. And then the next day, the hallway was wet. And I, I dabbed it. It wasn't urine. We thought maybe the dog went to the bathroom, but these dogs are adult dogs. They don't go to the bathroom in the house. The carpet was wet. It was clear. It didn't smell. And so then I thought, well, maybe there was a leak underneath because of the issue with the toilet. I called a plumber. They came out. They went underneath. They checked everything, said everything was fine. There was no issues, no leaks. So I have no idea how that got wet in there. I don't know what the smell of the urine was. And it was human urine, not animal. So... I slept in the living room that weekend on the couch and decided I wasn't sleeping back there. And I hadn't seen the shadow man until the last day. I was cleaning everything up, again, in the kitchen. Standing in the kitchen, this is daylight, looking outside, because you can stand in the kitchen, look out at the forest and the rim, and all of a sudden, that shadow man walked across the patio. He was outside now on the patio. And I thought, oh my God, now he's in my safe space. Packed it up and left. 2018, my brother got remarried and had a small wedding up there at the cabin. Everybody was up there. 
was there for a few hours, stayed outside. Haven't been back since. My mom passed away in 2019, and we decided to take all of her stuff and clear out all the old stuff from the cabin, bring her stuff up there and, and put it in there just because it was newer and lighter and brighter and from happier times. I haven't been up since. I keep telling myself I need to go up there, and it was kind of odd because this morning my sister's friend called me, who's still a very good friend of mine, and said, what's going on at the cabin? And I said, why? She goes, I don't know. I've just, just been on my mind a lot. And she said, you and I need to go up there and figure it out. And I said, you know what? I bought sage a few years ago, and I've been trying to get up there, but I'm not going by myself. And her and I are now planning a trip. We're going to go up there and spend a, spend a night, bring the sage, and try and figure out what it is that her and my sister and I sensed and felt that nobody else is. But I'm just, uh, yeah, hoping that that dark energy is gone. And if not, I'm hoping I can figure out what it is and why it's there and why it presents himself to me. I've seen it at least three times up there. Not sure, but this all started after my dad passed away. So thank you, Derek, for letting me tell my story. Love your podcast. Listen to it all the time. And I uh, hope you can use this. Thank you, Jeanette. You know, I don't know. I think my first thought would be to agree with the brother. Maybe a squatter of some sort had taken up residence in the cabin. You do hear of that sort of thing from time to time. And if that intruder is resourceful, you may never even know that they're there. But when those intruders are seen, and sometimes they are, they're usually not described as looking like a shadow person. So maybe that little detail eliminates them as a suspect. But I will hand it to you, Janine. You seem to immediately pick up on all this activity well in advance of the rest of your family. And that validation suggests that you should probably trust those feelings going forward. If you believe in that sort of thing at all. And do be sure to let us know if you make a back up to the cabin. While you're there, maybe put together some sort of mini-investigation. Dig into the history of the place. But above all else, be sure to tell us what you've uncovered. And until then, thanks again, Jeanette, for the story. Now, what's another wintertime activity that one might indulge in this time of year? We could parlay into another story. Who, who said sled riding? I heard sled riding in the back. Well, whoever said that, you're dead on. Because Mike is here with his epic sledding tale. Hey, Derek and Monsters Among Us. This is Mike from Wisconsin. I had a pretty insane UFO sighting in 2009. So it's uh, winter time, 
and I was hanging out with some friends and we decided we we're going to go sledding. So we go to uh, this local hill. It's a ski hill, so sledding's not allowed. And we go there. It's about 9.30 at night. So the hill's closed down because they don't have lights or anything. And there's eight of us. And we get, you know, whatever we can find to slide down the hill because um, I was 23 at the time. It's uh, 2009. And anyway, we get to the top of the hill and my friends are about to smoke some of the devil's lettuce and I couldn't partake because of my job. So we get randoms. So I just dive down the hill. My friend, um, I'll call her Ashley, followed behind me. And the other six people are up on the top of the hill still smoking. And they're kind of in the trees a little bit. Um, we get to the bottom of the hill and there's a frozen lake, and um, this place uses tow ropes to get you back to the top of the hill. So it's gonna take a while to get back up there. So we figure we're just gonna wait for everybody down there. And we look out over the lake, and I see a vehicle. I think it's a helicopter, but this thing's not making any sound. And there's just a bunch of lights going off. And I said, you know, what the f is that, you know? And my friend, Ashley, she's like, is this really happening? This vehicle gets closer, because we see what it is. And it's saucer shaped. It's a flying saucer. There's lights on it. All sorts of lights, like different colors, spinning, spinning different directions, flashing. Not only was this thing not worried about being seen, it was quite the opposite. It was like it was trying to be seen underneath the aircraft or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> There's like a white blue light, like a circle right underneath. I don't know if it was the, the exhaust or the propulsion, but it was this like bluish purple light. And it was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Like, I don't know, it was like the brightest, one of the brightest things I've ever seen. On top of the craft, yeah, just light spinning around where the saucers meet. There was another light, like, traveling around it, maybe once, I don't know, or twice a second, it's hard to say. And as it did that, there was a track of lights switching with it, and then there's just other lights going off, and we saw this thing for, I don't know, like, 30 seconds, but we were just dumbstruck, awestruck. We were within about 100 yards of it. I mean, we were close. There's no mistake in this thing, like, it was a flying saucer, I mean. I know people had sightings and it's just some far off blinking light. No, this thing flew right right up on us. It didn't, it didn't nab us or anything. And I don't know. So yeah, we're just freaking out. And eventually it's just above treetop height, this thing. It's just above the trees. And it goes out of view. And we're like, we're talking about it. We're like, that really happened? Like we both saw it. We're, we're both saying what we saw. And it, yeah, it was a flying saucer. And, it was right there, you know? And then we start talking like, well, are we gonna tell our friends we saw this thing? Cause they were kind of up in the trees. The, the run we went down had a curve in it. Even though they're higher up, we're not sure they even had an angle on this thing cause it was flying so low. And we're like, we just decided if, if they bring it up, of course we'll say we saw it, but we weren't gonna bring it up. You know, you didn't want to sound like a crazy person. They eventually come down the hill they didn't say anything like, did you see that? Or 
and I kept it to myself for a while. You know, I didn't want to sound nuts, like, see it's not a UFO, you know, and, uh, I don't know, years later, I ran into Ashley, like, we were more of acquaintances, and, and I asked her, you know, you remember when we saw that UFO? And there was people around us, like, it was mixed company, it wasn't like we knew everybody that was there, it was at a bar. And, yeah, in front of other people, she's like, yeah, I remember seeing it, like, we were, we were real close to it. I don't know, can't, don't know what it was, but... I don't think it was from <laughs> this planet, but I mean, God knows what the government has, but just the way it moved, the way it didn't care that, it, I mean, it was lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I don't think it was from here, from this planet, um, just bizarre. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, cause I'm kind of nervous, but the where this took place, it's called uh, Standing Rocks. It's a county park in central Wisconsin. If you're looking at Wisconsin from a map, it's um, pretty much dead center. Um, yeah, that's all I got. 2009, um, whatever the hell that was, if you're in Wisconsin and you saw something weird in the 2009 winter sky, uh, love to hear about it. Anyways, uh, love the show, love the new music. See you guys later. Thanks, Mike. Now, Mike was detailed enough in his story that I was able to do some serious digging. And in that research, I was able to find another similar UFO sighting from central Wisconsin in the winter of 2009. And they actually caught it on tape. Now, the following news story was aired on March 7th, 2009, courtesy of WKBT CBS Channel 8 News. Well, if you saw an unknown glowing object floating in the sky, you could assume it was a lot of things, including a UFO. And one local family says they still have no idea what it was over their home this week, but they made sure they caught it on video so someone could figure it out. I have no idea. Could be a government thing. I don't know. Maybe aliens. I don't know. All Zach Ruckheim and his dad know is it was something weird. I always look in the sky kind of off this way. And all of a sudden, I seen a light out there, and it was something that, in all them years, I've never seen like that before. And I didn't believe him at first, so I came out and looked at it for a little bit, and uh, then I came back in and got my camera, and we filmed. They spent nearly a half an hour last Saturday night watching the object floating not far from their farm outside of Sparta, changing colors between green and red. They can't explain what it was. But it wasn't just the object's size or color, but the fact that it seemed to appear and then disappear. I'll tell you what, those two descriptions aren't all that dissimilar. Colorful flashing lights, prolonged contact, and of course, the timing and location of the pair of sightings. Which for those of you unfamiliar with the state of Wisconsin, is only about 90 miles apart. And here's something strange. A bit of a bonus to this story. The news clip I found and featured out of Sparta, Wisconsin, featuring the farmers that caught something strange on their video camera. Well, the video that's shared in that clip, the recording of the craft they saw that night, is all but unwatchable. In nearly every shot of the quote-unquote UFO, there was some sort of digital interference obstructing our view of the object. Go to the show notes at monstersamonguspodcast.com Click the show notes tab and take a look at this video yourself. 
Telling you that's some men in black stuff right there. And you best watch yourself, Mike. Don't let any strange individuals into your house. And thanks for risking it all to share that tale. Now, as you probably know by now, this world is a strange and mysterious place. And things get even stranger when you consider the concept of imposter entities. Creatures masquerading behind familiar faces to lure you into the dark. Now, this is one of many fascinating ideas I've recently heard discussed on the Beliefful podcast. Every other week, the brothers of the Beliefful present the strangest true stories with corroborative research and immersive storytelling. From documented cases of near-invisible sky creatures that float hidden in the world just above us. Boy, does that sound familiar. To investigating the very founding of the national parks as a clandestine operation to contain unsettling and monstrous phenomena. The Beliefful is a veritable grab bag of the bazaar. Whether you're hungry for real hauntings or roadside encounters with dogmen, they've got you covered. And with their brotherly banter, the guys have a real chemistry going. And they're just weird enough to make me feel like I'm laughing in the dark with friends. So join me in listening to the Belief Hole podcast, available on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, do you guys want to know my favorite part of a holiday party? Well, it's the part where I go home. Home is where my stuff is. I always say that. And I think Tony in Tennessee might be picking up what I'm putting down. Hi, Derek. This is Tony from Northeast Tennessee. And Zinger told me to call and leave this message for the transport episode. In December 2019, I was traveling. I was coming back from Atlanta. I'd went down to see some friends have a Christmas party. And that night, somebody came out and said, hey, everyone, parts of Atlanta are starting to freeze from the rain. So anybody that lives in this in this section of town should leave. And I said to them, well, if Atlanta's starting to have some bad weather, I should leave because there's sure to be some on my way back to Tennessee. So as I'm driving back, I did hit some really bad snowy weather. Like I'm on a U.S. highway doing 25 miles an hour with the window down, trying to scrape the building snow up off my windshield because my wipers have frozen. Eventually, though, about Hendersonville, North Carolina, was whenever I was able to finally get back onto the interstates. And the roads were clearer there, and it had stopped snowing as bad, but the weather was still coming down. I said, you know, I'm just going to pull off at a hotel here and get a bed to sleep. It was 2 a.m., but I didn't care if I was not going to get a full night's worth of value. I was just ready to be off the road. But I get to the hotel, a Holiday Inn. I go inside and I'm like, hi, I really need a room for the night. This weather is really terrible. And the woman said, yes, unfortunately, everyone else felt the same way and we're full and every hotel in town is full. And I said, is that because they were smart and didn't wait till two in the morning? And she just laughed and said, yes, sir. I said, all right. So I got back on the road and I was starting to head back to my home in Tennessee. Now, along the way is a place called Sam's Gap. 
and it is a very steep decline and then incline and it can be rough on a car in the best of weather i definitely didn't want to do this in snowy freezy rain weather and as i'm driving through hendersonville i remember thinking i'm so i'm praying i'm a religious person I said, like, you know, hey, what should I do? Should I try to find a place to stop? Should I go for a while longer? Should I at least get to Asheville? Well, what should I do? And at that time, I noticed, I looked around on the ground. You're like, you know there's ambient light from a city. But you know the ambient light is generally at a certain level. And I look, I'm like, the ambient light from the city seems incredibly bright. I wonder if that's light reflecting off the snow. And if that moment all the lights the ambient light of the city which is normally white just turned green like when you're passing by a city and you look around and you see like the normal lights from street lights you know like parking lots from walmart that sort of thing all of that ambient light just turned green and no it wasn't like a stoplight because this was like a lot of lights one stoplight would not have generated this amount of green and i i took that as a sign that says you know, green means go. And I proceeded to drive in relatively safety, safety, you know, as long as you're smart about driving on snowy roads, until I almost got to where Sam's Gap was, a Weaverville, North Carolina. Stopped in, found a gas station that was open and lit, and just slept in my car for a few hours and waited for the weather to calm down, sun to come up, roads to get a little clearer. And at that point, I was able to drive home safely. But yeah, just for the ambient light in a city to just turn green all of a sudden, just really bizarre. I have no idea what could have caused that. Anyway, that's my story. Thank you very much for all you do. Have a good night. Bye. Oh, Tony, you got to watch out for that Zinger fella. He's, of course, speaking of Justin Zinger host of Zing This Podcast and co-host of Nights at the Round Table, our little movie review show found for free over at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us Podcast. But he's a good guy. Go check out his podcast. Now, as for the story, let me start off by saying I'm not here to burst any bubbles. But I am here to explore all the angles. So I started with the basics, and I asked our old friend the internet, why does the sky turn green during a storm? And KARE, NBC News 11, was quick with an answer. The question comes in from Peter Zhang. Why does the sky turn green when a thunderstorm is coming? But the answer to this question is kind of in three different parts. First of all, we have light coming from the sun that goes through the thunderstorm. And when the thunderstorm is very tall, it's very large and deep, it has a lot of rain in it. It also potentially has some hail inside of it too. So when the light passes through that hail and that rain, those objects, those rain droplets or hailstones, absorb the red and the blue light. So what's left behind? Green light. So when you see a green thunderstorm or green clouds, it doesn't mean that there's a tornado coming and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's hail coming, but it does show you that the storm is very strong, very large, and also very tall and very deep too and will likely contain a lot of rainfall. Now that's the scientific approach. 
but of course it could be, like Tony said. That green means go. After all, he did make it all the way home unscathed. That's got to count for something. Oh, and by the way, if you're ever in Tony's shoes and you can't get a room but you don't want to continue on, places like Walmart, Cracker Barrel, Cabela's, and most gyms allow you to stay overnight in their parking lot. I can tell you it's not ideal, but it works in a pinch. And it sure beats the alternative. And folks, that brings us to our last gift of the evening. And this is a little something I think we can all enjoy. Rachel in North Carolina. Please go ahead with your story. Hi, Derek. My name is Rachel. I'm calling from Western North Carolina. I wanted to share an experience that my friend and I had uh, while we were backpacking in the Shining Rock Wilderness in North Carolina. It was pretty frigid in the middle of the winter, and I don't really know why we decided to camp outside then. But anyway, we had gotten on the trail late and ended up making camp in the dark, which is just poor planning on our part and a little awkward to do. But we ended up setting up camp in a little glade off of the main trail and it was separated from the trail by a sort of stretch of trees so we, we couldn't see the trail. It was just surrounded by forest, of course. Anyway, so we had made a fire and we were, you know, trying to eat and uh, have a couple of drinks before going to sleep and we were sleeping in hammocks actually with insulation and stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, and we heard this noise in the trees around us sort of and it sounded somewhere between a cat and a bird. Uh, I can't physically make the noise, but it was bone chilling. And we heard it several times with some time passing in between the, the calls, but it sounded like it moved slightly closer to us and maybe almost like it had started to circle the camp a little bit. And I had always heard that mountain lions, you know, made calls that were not like regular cats. And this was cat-like enough to make me think of them. And, um, and my friend, uh, who has more outdoor experience than I do, concurred. So we were both extremely afraid because we'd always been told that, that mountain lions were not still living in our region, that they were gone from the side of the Mississippi. And we were faced with evidence that that was not true. And we were in a vulnerable position. We were not going to be sleeping even in a tent. So... I was more terrified then than I can remember being in my life just because it sounded like it was too interested in our camp and it was circling us. But we uh, eventually were able to go to sleep. My friend had her dog with us and that gave me a little bit of comfort and we didn't have any other incident on that hike. But I say all this because it just reminds me of the large Black Panther sighting on this side of the country and, and in the Midwest. Just uh, the authorities telling you that something isn't there, that it doesn't exist in your area, but you're finding evidence that it does. So for that reason, I wanted to share because I just have this overwhelming desire to share about it. And it does tie in a little bit to the, the black cat sightings because, well, I have other instances of family members reporting sightings of cats that resemble mountain lions. 
or are mountain lions. And one, in the case of my father, was actually he a, a black panther. So anyway, they're down here too, in the south. <laughs> I hope you can use this. Uh, thank you for the podcast. I really enjoy listening. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Rachel. Now, it's funny how history tends to repeat itself, even within these cryptid sightings. Because you see, this isn't the first time a large feline had folks in the Tar Heel State spooked out of their mind. And if history has taught us anything, it's probably not the last time either. Seventy years ago this week, the holidays were rocked by a series of animal mutilations in rural North Carolina. Killings residents blamed on a local beast. The vampire beast of Bladenboro. 1954, and uh, I was nine years old. And uh, the beast came around, a varmint or whatever it was, and uh, he uh, slaughtered some dogs and different animals. And it was known as the vampire beast because all the dogs that were killed were killed identical. They had their nose eaten out and the blood drained. And they were afraid that he might be after children and all. And so the mothers, my mother, would not let us get out in the yard and play. Uh, we would always come to Bladenboro on Saturday and take in the movies and head home and we'd walk home. There was a swampy area uh, between town and my home. Uh, when we got to that swamp, <laughs> we ran like the wind. We were had a curfew. We couldn't go out, uh, out of the house because everybody thought a monster, a beast would get us. Nighttime, everybody was indoors. Everybody. Uh, I was in school at that time and I was a cheerleader on the basketball team and some of the people would not um, let their kids come from other towns to play basketball while that was going on. The town was gripped in fear as hounds, goats, and other livestock were exsanguinated right under their noses. And so for about two weeks, that was uh, terror and everybody was scared to death. I was just scared. That was the worst thing. I can still remember that fear. It was just like you were in a tight box, and it was just pressing. Hunters, big game hunters were here in Blaybor. They kind of overwhelmed the little town of Blaybor. And they came in here with their bows and arrows and their night lights and their hunting outfits and everything, and uh, they would assemble on downtown, and then they would go out in the swampy area to hunt the beast. So it seemed like there was one big cat killed, a bobcat. Now, whether that was the beast or not, we doubt it. But that wasn't the beast. That bobcat wasn't the beast. They hung him in front of the old theater there in town. But that wasn't him. Not to me, it won't. <laughs> Not to me. Now, if you've ever seen a bobcat up close, you'd also question these claims. They simply aren't large enough. They're not tall enough, they're not long enough, and they certainly don't weigh enough to take down a hound whose weight could easily double the wild cats. But if it wasn't a bobcat, then what was the vampire beast of Bladenboro? 
And there's lots of rumors of how it got started, whether it was actually a beast or, or some animal of some type. Uh, there were stories about it was some of the senior citizens in Bladenboro. People would see uh, different tracks and all and, and they, uh, they didn't pan out. The story was that they would take tin cans and run a string through it and make sound like a wow. <laughs> My dad surmised it was a bobcat. Some of the people thought it was a bobcat, but they, uh, that didn't, didn't, didn't go to reason with my father. I just cannot imagine a bobcat killing an adult coonhound-sized dog unless it was a freak thing, and it certainly wouldn't have happened over and over again. Something that would have to be able to kill a dog, a full-sized dog, would probably be a cougar size or larger. Now those interview segments are courtesy of the series. Any Town USA, episode 20, to be specific. And believe it or not, the beast still shows up from time to time. Most recently, back in 2007, when several pit bulls in the area were killed and mutilated. Big cat style. Now, longtime fans of the History Channel series Monster Quest may remember an episode featuring this beast. Now I've taken the liberty of linking to that episode in the show notes if you want to take a look. And it's free by the way, so the price is right. Now who knows, Rachel. Maybe it was the vampire beast you heard that night. Or maybe you just let your imagination get the better of you. Either way, I'm sure the cold wasn't the only thing giving you shivers that evening. We thank you dearly for sharing them with us. Now, if you'd excuse me, I have a few gifts to open. Monsters Among Us podcast is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Be sure to follow us on our social media accounts. And while you're at it, join us over on YouTube. And if you don't mind, leaving us a rate and review is a great way to help support the show. Now finally this evening, tonight's score was provided by Mayu, Co.ag Music, Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Stay safe out there. Have a happy holiday season. I'll catch you guys next week. As it turns out, there was one more package stuck behind the tree and had your name on it. 
and this one touches on a subject I never imagined we'd ever cover here on the show. An aggressive Christmas elf. Again, from our neighbors to the north. Please welcome Alex to the show. Hi, my name is Alexander, and I'm from Windsor, Ontario. So for a very long time, I have this memory of me being a kid in some kind of crib or like young kids kind of like a bedroom situation. It was like Christmas Eve and I remember lying down ready to go to sleep and there was this weird elf figure that appeared on my bed and was not like being aggressive or anything but was being like pretty intimidating or like weirdly uh, just weirdly like trying to like mess with me. I remember it being so vivid and so real, it wasn't like a dream situation because I, oh, I can still like make sure that I know what dreams are like. And it wasn't a dream situation. Anyway, so that must have been when I was like six or seven years old. Cut to now I'm 30 years old. I'm like on this website called Omegle where you just like connect with random people throughout the world just for fun to talk to them and stuff. And I met this woman, and for some reason we started talking about supernatural experiences, and I asked her if she had any supernatural experiences that ever happened, and she said no. She asked me, obviously, afterwards, and I said, yeah, actually I do. I was a really young kid, and I had this weird elfish creature, very vivid in my memory, kind of like bugging me when I was a kid, and she was like, oh yeah, that's something called a duende had no stop in her step while saying that and she was from the philippines and she's like yeah it's a duende they sometimes mess with kids if you go on wikipedia and look up the duende the second picture on the wikipedia account is exactly what i saw there's no reason for me at that age that i saw this thing for me to know what that thing looked like. Like if it was like something that was put in my mind beforehand, I was flabbergasted. It was a crazy experience. It, Like I said, it was like not a dream. I was completely awake. And then I want to say 15, 25 years later, actually, because I must have been around six or seven. So about 25 years later, this person that I don't know that I just met on a website knew exactly what I was talking about. This weird elfish creature was messing with me. And I still remember it to this day very vividly. Anyway, love you, Derek. Uh, your podcast is amazing. And keep up the good work. Oh, well, we love you too, Alex. And I love this story. And I think it's one of those that tend to have different origins across different cultures. Because to me, it sounds like this is one of Santa's elves. To Alex's online friend, it was obviously a duende. But if someone else were to be listening, maybe from the Cherokee Nation, they might immediately recognize it as a member of the Moon-Eyed People 
and who knows what other little humanoid origin stories this one might adopt down the line. But the fact that each culture seems to have some sort of lore surrounding little people, that's certainly an interesting piece of information. And regardless of who, what, or why, Alex's little run-in is perfect for this sort of a special episode. And we can't thank him enough for sharing it here with us. And now, children, quickly rush to bed. You know the rule. Santa won't arrive unless you're asleep. And coincidentally, the Wendigos won't go away if you're awake. But for all of you late-nighters that are willing to risk it. We're keeping the party going for just a little while longer over at the beyond. I'm pouring a drink. We have a guest in the studio and I really think you'd like to join us. And to do so, just visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast and join up to that $5 level that will give you instant access to this and much more additional spooky content. Oh, and if $5 is too steep, and trust me, I get it. I've been there most of my life. You can at least do ad-free for only $1. And here's the thing. Pay for one month, binge the entire month, then cancel. Make it your little holiday treat. And I certainly don't mind at all. So anyway, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Now, if I may, I would like to introduce tonight's guest. She's my best friend, my pal, my homeboy, my rotten soldier, my sweet cheese, my good time gal. And she's also the grease that keeps the Monsters Among Us wheels going week in and week out. Allow me to introduce Her Majesty, Sarah Carter Hayes. <laughs> 